All bowling is good. It doesn't matter if it's organized. It doesn't matter if it's a competition. All bowling is good. And I agree with him. Hey, thanks for coming on the show today, Mark. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I know we had a really good one uh, before, and I think this will be a even better sequel. So for the people who have not had the pleasure of meeting you, tell us real quick a little bit about who you are and uh, who you represent. Yeah, so I'm Mark Miller. I'm uh, coming to you from Flower Mound, Texas, north of Dallas. I am the president of the International Bowling Media Association. I am a writer for Bowlers Journal International for International Bowling Media sometime soon, hopefully BCM. I am. I used to work for USBC mm-hmm. for almost 25 years in the on the membership in the cor- magazine side, corporate communications side. And then after they made some changes, they, then I went on to the other side, which is on the writer's side. So I've seen this from both what I do and what I've doing is, been doing is I've seen it from both ends, both from the kind of the dark side of PR and the so-called light side of, of journalistic side. Right. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the organization that you're working with today. I, I hadn't heard of it uh, before, but uh, after learning a little bit about it, it seems like a pretty interesting organization. Yeah, so your your viewers and, your, and people may know it more so from its older names, the Bowling Writers Association of America, which does did go back to, I think it's 19. And then the National Women Bowling Writers went back to somewhere not too long after that. And so uh, then what happened is as USBC merged, in 05, we started to realize that just like with USBC, why did they have separate groups for men and women and all that stuff? Why did we need separate groups for men and women and stuff? Right. So the powers that be back in, I guess it was around early 05, 06, somewhere in that area, we said, we need to merge our stuff. So we did, at the, initially under the BWE name, the Bowling Writers Association of America name, I think it was about 10 years ago or so, we started to realize as the scope of media ch- was changing already uh, with online websites, podcasts, blogs, all that stuff, we realized we're not the old traditional writer in a magazine or a newspaper and maybe a few here on TV and radio. So that's right. why we changed from Bowling Writers to, and also we knew we weren't just Uh, the United States. We also, part of what we did is we joined with the World Bowling Writers back around that same time. And so we said, hey, we're international. We do media. We don't just do writing. So let's change our name to the more to what we are. And so that's where people may not know our current name, but I think a lot of people recognize the BWA and NWBW names are our predecessors. Mm -hmm. So we carried forward with some of what they did, kept some of their awards and then expanded and trying to reach a broader audience. That's the biggest thing. When you guys mm-hmm. contacted us, it was really fascinating because uh, podcasts like this, we're not, a lot of us older guys are not that attuned to the kinds of things that BAM and you guys and others have. So that's what we're really trying to spread the word on and, and trying to get uh, more awareness of us to the so-called non-traditional media. Yeah. So, I mean, Largely what you guys do, is it a matter of kind of publishing media in these different outlets or spreading, covering different events going on in, in bowling or yep. what are some of the functions that you guys provide? Yeah, most of those people who are, and I think when we talked the other day, the challenge we're running into now is that, so when I started with the Bowling Congress in 85, there were about 60 weekly or monthly bowling newspapers all over the country. There mm-hmm. were just tons of, I don't even know the number, but tons of bowling writers who would be assigned uh, to write about bowling weekly, bi-weekly, monthly at their local papers. I mean, in big papers, mm. Chicago Tribune, Milwaukee Journal, Dallas Morning News, Los Angeles Times, and many yeah. others. Uh, Miami Herald, like Dick Evans and some of the old guys. I mean, these were icons of the industry, icons of the bowling writers, the ones who helped start this thing. But what's again, what's happened as throughout all these changes in the media and in the bowling world, 
combination of we lost a lot of these folks to age, then media would dial back and they go, well, as their space got smaller, bowling was one of the things that maybe had to get cut from the normal rotation of, okay, we're going to cover this. You had one of the things that really changed is the growth of girls' sports in high school and women's sports in college, because Mm -hmm. now that started taking up more of the limited space that, say, newspapers had. And so we got kind of cut out. We were one of the sports that kind of got cut out. And so we've, there's really just less places today for our members to tell stories. Because that's really all, I learned this from Tom Clark, who's the commissioner of the PBA, was my boss for three years at the USBC. Before that, he was the bowling columnist at USA Today. And I worked with him on a number of things. He always used to talk about, our job is to find compelling stories about the sport, the business and everything, and find places to tell those stories. And what's changed in the industry is that, and again, the old days, you told those stories through print for primarily. And now you tell stories through all sorts of things. Print is now one of many ways rather than maybe the primary way. That's the biggest difference in, to me, my knowledge in terms of how we, our people tell our stories and where. But now it can be in anything. It can be, it can be, again, anything electronic, anything in the uh, internet, anything, whether it's uh, voice, video, what, video and that. So, so our challenge now is to find, number one, identify places that are, are, are doing things like you guys do, but then also trying to identify places that maybe the young people coming up could aspire to. That's the other thing Tom used to always talk about is aspiration. We, one of the things we like to do is tell stories of, of big name people. Like we did uh, years ago, we had uh, uh, DeAndre Asbady and Chris Barnes as our spokespeople for a lot of our programs at USBC. And initially Chris Paul for a while before he moved over to the PBA. The idea is to aspire to be these people. They love bowling. In Chris Paul's case, he's not, he's a basketball player who bowls well, but it, it's exciting. And in the case of DeAndre and Chris, they're lifelong top flight bowlers. Well, we want young girls, the girls and the boys to aspire to those things. And that's sure. the thing that that we try to do is to try and create stories that tell the story of bowling as a, both as a recreation and a sport, and then something that hopefully people will, kids will aspire to in hopefully a growing number and, and in, in a new way of telling those stories. So that's, so yeah, to get to your original answer, yeah, our, our goal is to, is to be able to write about whatever. It can be amateurs, pros, college, high school, the business, bowling centers, trends, it can be on anything. So then what are some of the outlets you guys cover today? You, um, you mentioned a couple of different ones you guys can produce in, but where are your outlets primarily today? So we have, right now there's about five bowling newspapers around. There are still, the, the biggest ones are Bowler's Journal, Bowling Industry, Bowling Center Management. Those are the three mm-hmm. biggest of the traditional print. USBC, when I worked at USBC, we had two very large magazines. One was called US Bowler, one was called US Youth Bowler, that at the time, mm-hmm. back in 2010, it was reaching about 3 million people or 2 million people. I think yeah. it was at the time. And it went to every USBC member. If you are a paying, if you're a card carrying USBC member, you got this magazine four times a year. Well, they changed with the uh, finances and the things that happened around between 2008 and 2010. They dropped that. And of course, later on, your readers probably know that they, they bought the Bowler's Journal, which is a much smaller publication. It's about 20,000 people versus 2 million people. And right. so it's that, but those are the biggest, at least right now, that, I think bowling industry, I think has 10,000. I think BCM has around 10,000. So right now, those are on the print side, the biggest places to tell about the sport. Then you have places like PBA, PBA.com, USBC has bowl.com. And there are a lot of their staff are members of our organization and PBA. 
Those are the biggest pictures, if you will. And then again, some of these small bowling newspapers, there's one here in Dallas called the Bowling News. There's one in Minneapolis. There's a handful around. Some of them are online only instead of being in print. And so, and then there's still a handful of people, not many, but a handful of people who do some kind of weekly column. We're trying to identify more of those because that, that group drops. And so we're trying to find more of those. But those are the biggest areas I think that we can reach right now. But again, with the, with the non-traditional media and with some of these people having maybe thousands of followers, we want to tap into those and try and now grow. We do have, and one of the other things we're trying to do is get some younger membership because a lot of us are over 65. And, and so we're trying to get more younger members to cultivate that, that growing non-traditional media. And then what are some of the stories or trends or what are you, what are you seeing out there today? Like what are some of the big topics you guys like to cover the out there? Well, you got on the pro side, of course, PBA is doing really well. We, our people cover them everywhere from the staff itself at PBA to people at USBC to some of our writers covering, because obviously they're the most visible. They're on mm-hmm. most of the more of the time between January and they just wrapped up now for the year pretty much with the league. So they're kind of done for the year for the most part. On the USBC side, we cover things like the Open Championships, the Masters, the Queens, the Women's Championships, some of those I've written. And then there's a lot of, for myself, I do a lot, I've been doing a lot of tournaments around the world for Bowler's Journal. There's the Singapore Open I did a story on. There's there's some tournaments here. Storm has a couple tournaments that they run. And then so we'll cover some of those. And then on the trend side, we've done stuff from the, the string pins. I haven't personally, mm-hmm. but we had people talking about string pins in, in the media. Yeah. Uh, and the growth of those. And then the growth of, for a couple of years ago, is virtual reality games and stuff like that. What are the kind of, it's funny when you go to Bowl Expo, you get to see what is the latest and greatest and newest stuff. A lot of it deals with, and a lot of it deals with stuff that has nothing to do with the sport of bowling and has more to do with the recreation and entertainment of bowling. That's one of the things right. that a lot of things have expanded. Bowling industry does a thing called Amusement Alley and, and BJ does a thing about the non-traditional stuff. So there are this broader, and again, a lot of that has been because of the proliferation of family entertainment centers. That's one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that I've seen over the 40 some years I've done this is the change from the traditional bowling alley to the family entertainment center. So it's not all about bowling anymore. And I know you guys are are very heavily into that with your marketing Mm -hmm. stuff. In the old days, it was basically you had bowling lanes, maybe a mom and pop, 12 lanes, and a bar, a snack bar with like pizza and popcorn. But now you've got, geez, you've got these places that have world-class chefs, gourmet food. I mean, they're known, some of the uh, centers now are known way more for their food than the the bowling. It's true, yeah. Bowling is just kind of a part of it as opposed to the only thing. So that's Mm -hmm. maybe the biggest thing we've seen change in terms of the facilities themselves. And then on the bowler side, the biggest change is the sheer number of people. You have a lot of people, more people in the last 10 or 20 years, a lot of people who go bowling, but a lot fewer people who have gone bowling in a league setting than, say, when I started, there was like five or six million people. The peak of uh, bowling was around 1979, 1980. There was about nine million Hmm. people going bowling every week. They were members of the the three bowling congresses, which Mm -hmm. at that time was ABC for men only at the time, ABC for women at the time, and then American Junior Bowling Congress, later YABA for the youth. They had gotten down, they pretty much dropped for 35 consecutive years or something like that, even before the pandemic. And then the pandemic, of course, itself took a toll. However, the great news for the industry, and this is really cool for those of us telling stories, is that since the pandemic and even after things have gotten somewhat normal, 
bowling is doing very well right now. Mm -hmm. And not only have a lot of people, most people come back, but they've been able to attract a lot of new people to the, both the sport and the recreation, because I think what the pandemic taught people is that we are creatures of uh, being together or creatures of uh, social commiserating with each other. Now, whether that's Mm -hmm. on a regular basis, once a year or twice a year, whatever, it doesn't matter. But that's what I think you've seen a lot of is the growth of just people playing the game in some way. And as Chad Murphy, the CEO of uh, the executive director of, of USBC likes to say, all bowling is good. It doesn't matter if it's organized. It doesn't matter if it's a competition. All right. bowling is good. And I agree with him because once you get the bug, it can be in a clubby kind of uh, fancy place where you're just, women are coming in in high heels and all that. But if they enjoy the activity, there are people whose competitive juices will go, hmm, I think I might want to do this on more than just a fun basis. And so right. the more people you introduce to the game, whatever, then, then all of a sudden they, they turn to the sports side of it. And that's a key point is that bowling is both a recreation and a sport. I equate it to like softball. You've got your beer leagues. You've got your leagues. You may have played in some where you've got the keg of beer sitting at second base. Right. And, and if you pass it, you get a shot or a drink. And then there's tournaments and then there's regular stuff. And so right. bowling has the same thing. Our challenge is that there are still media who don't believe that. They only see the recreation side. They only right. see the Friday night drinking league and it's cigarettes, and which, of course, most places don't even allow anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually another of the big trends over the years is the whole changing of society from this smoking society to this non-smoking society on the indoor level. And that's right. really benefited bowling a lot. And mm-hmm. that, uh, so there's been some, so we've written a lot, our people have written about these various changes and the things that go on day to day, just the tournaments that happen on the competition side. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, the great thing is there's, and there's a lot of really cool people that up and coming out, I'm, I'm writing, a, getting ready to write a story on a young kid here from Dallas who's 19 years old and has won five regionals and yeah. uh, he's going on tour next year. And, and so there's just some really, I'm doing something on Chris Warren. He's got two lanes of string pins in his pro shop in Plano, Texas. Yeah. And I don't think anybody else in the world has that. So Mm. just different things that you can write about this looking for interesting things. Yeah. A bunch of trends in there, especially like you said, like the string. And uh, I think the string even plays into the kind of FEC more mass appeal just because they're the ones who don't really care. And I know it's, it's tough for a lot of these guys to find mechanics. I think that's one of the biggest pushes in, in the string. It's yep. just being able to find someone to repair the old machine. So if you're going to get one and you don't know if you're going to be able to find a mechanic, string seems to be a, a viable option. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to Chris Barnes yesterday for this story on this kid, but we were getting to talk a little about that. He thinks it's not just you, the reason you can't find them is they is the bowling centers don't want to pay them. And sure. yeah. they don't want to pay them what they as mechanical people believe that they're worth. And yeah. maybe go and take that, that mechanical talent and do some go somewhere outside the exactly, yeah. and make more money. And right. So there's probably an that, easier job too. Yep. And that and the fact that there's a shortage just in general of skilled labor anyway, whether right. it's anything mechanical or whether it's electrical, plumbing, all that stuff, there's a shortage of people involved in that anyway. So it's just that has really affected the bowling industry quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, that's yeah, um, and it's inter- excuse me, it's interesting here in the Dallas area, we have several places that I think I told you that the other day, that pin only. I mean, there's a place in mm-hmm. Texas Live, which is right between the Rangers Stadium and the Cowboys of, of string pins there. And Mecca of a lot of different formats. A lot, you know, There's still plenty. There's still traditional centers. But there's a, these other ones, uh, anywhere from 
to different ones like that, that are really unique. And we've mm-hmm. written about some of them too in, in the past. So that's, I'm kind of, it's nice from a bowling standpoint, from a trend standpoint, I am right in the Mecca of kind of the, of where a lot of these things are trending and starting and experimenting. Yeah, that's definitely one of the big hubs. I mean, and then you have some big FECs too, Alley Cats or right. Grand Main Station event. Entertainment, a bunch of those massive ones that yep. kind of took it in more of a mass appeal. Exactly. Yeah, you don't Speaking see that as Western much Western. up north. Yeah, you don't see that much up north. I'm from Wisconsin, and there, there's not. Although I'm writing smaller. about a new one up there uh, that's coming in, mm-hmm. it's actually replacing an old. It's kind of a new FEC replacing an old FEC in the suburbs of Milwaukee. But it's still, you just don't see a lot of that even up north that much in the traditional. Mm-hmm. They're much more. We talked the other day about like the Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Minneapolis. Right. Those are those are still more traditional areas mm-hmm. of bowling. It was interesting when we moved to Texas. When USBC moved to Texas 15 years ago, Milwaukee went into shock. I think. And it's how can you leave us? You're bowling, we're bowling, and you're leaving for Texas. They were they were kind of right. shocked at that. But it's there's a lot down here. I mean, bowling is huge down here. Yeah. Speaking of bowling in Texas, are you going to the uh, Southwest show next week? I, in fact, I got I just remind reminded myself today. I'm hoping so. I got to send a note to Karen Miller, and because it's just up the street, and I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. You going to be there? I will be. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, great. We meet in person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had a reminder to myself today that I need to email her. I know it starts on Sunday. I think. And mm-hmm. uh, just up the road in Denton. So yeah, hopefully I'll get to see you there. Yeah, that'd be cool. Come on out. There's going to be uh, a bunch of great contacts there from yep, all around. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, they do a nice uh, job. Karen and, and, the, and the Southwest proprietors do a great job. Yeah, they, really. And yeah, Karen, Mike, Brian, all those guys, they yep. really have a, a strong association because some of them, some of the associations are have a better participation than others. Right. Tech, uh, Southwest seems to be one of the bigger ones. Yeah. Well, and it should be big. I know a couple of the old shows, if I heard right, the East and West Coast shows, they're not holding them this year, I don't believe. Correct. Yeah. They, well, they pivoted the East Coast show to the Edgepalooza. Oh, I didn't hear that. It's Wait, more just pure education-based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, obvious? It, it, I know. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It's tough. This time of year is really kicked off with leagues. Yep. You just went to Bowl Expo a couple months ago, so it's not like a ton has changed, and, and you're, you're it's hard enough to get out the first time, so... I think we've seen some of the uh, membership dwindle and they just said, hey, let's just pivot to this uh, education first approach. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that one. I'll have to look into that. When is that? Usually mid-October. Yeah, they used to do it in Atlantic City. I went to it years ago. That's where it is. Mm-hmm. Is it still? They're just changing. Yeah, I had a book. Yeah, I was out there about uh, in 2012. I had written a book on the history of bowling that fortunately for me sold out in 2017. And and I went to the East Coast show. That was one of the big first shows I went to to kind of sell the book. And it was really cool. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Yeah, I wonder what you can fetch on eBay now that they're sold out. You can't get them. Probably pretty. There's some. I know Amazon still has some. I see them out there every so often, Mm. and I'm sure they're used or whatever. I mean, we sold signed uh, copy could be worth a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, we sold. I sold about 3,500 of them myself. So, and I another about four, couple thousand that Amazon sold. So that was about another 500 or so that Amazon sold. So yeah, that's really cool. Absolutely. so, Mark, tell me a little bit about maybe where you see things going. Obviously, we talked about the trends you've seen, maybe yep. some about the trends you see progressing or in the future, continuing, changing. Next 12 to 18 months, what do you see on the horizon? Well, that's a great question. From our standpoint, we're, we're, we, and I think I told you the other day, we have created a visual media awards program that we're starting here in 24 for things that have been done in 23. We want anybody who does a podcast, a video thing, online thing to send and submit. We need them to be members. We want them to go to bowlingmedia.org to uh, mm-hmm. sign up and become a member because you got to be a member to, to be entered. But that's right. from our standpoint, that's the thing is 
we want to grow our membership. We want to grow our presence. We want to grow basically our, our relevance, if you will, in the bowling world from that standpoint. The string pin thing, I think right now, I, I think it's, I think the case there in the, in the next 12 to 18 months for that, I think is how many more centers, both new and current, go to the string pin format? Do The, the, the interesting thing that's the, the, the traditionalists are afraid that string pin will be the only game in town someday, which I don't believe. No, um, I don't think so. I don't yeah. either. It's, you're, you're it's, gonna... it's different enough. Yeah. I mean, there's a different. Yeah. Uh, and I think USBC. Yeah. And USBC was great when they did all their testing and now have certified a separate level of, right. of uh, stuff with. And that was the way to go. I think that's the way to go. And mm -hmm. that way people can choose. Now they're trying to figure out if there needs to be some kind of average adjustment. I know they're doing some bowler tests here in the Dallas area right now. Well, I've always um, heard what, one to two pins per. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Years ago when they did the sport bowling, I don't know how familiar you are with the sport bowling stuff that they did a number of years ago, and they had an average adjustment there. That one was a little more. I think that was about five pins, if I remember right. Mm. On, and I don't even know if they still use that or not. But they're, so it's good that they're doing that. But I just see the main trend is I think you're going to see more string pin. I'm hoping it's more in new facilities, but, or I'd like to see facilities that have a split perhaps, and you have some... 10 regular free fall mm -hmm. and some string pin so that maybe you can attract. Because as we mentioned the other day, the key to me in success for a bowling center is you have to have that mix. Uh, it can't be all entertainment. It can't be all competition. It's got to right. be some kind of mix. The model that seems to work, I know here in Dallas, is kind of leagues Monday through Thursday and then a couple scattered leagues on the weekend. But And then a lot of parties and tournaments and yep. open play and that on the weekends. And I think that seems to be the... Mm -hmm success what's what a lot of them have said have been successful but you know, the other thing that i think would be good and i'm hoping this continues the trend is the growth in the number of bowlers that are out there and the number of people who convert from just casual bowling to some kind of regular bowling mm -hmm. doesn't have to be hard-nosed competition but just something that is is regular in some mm -hmm. way it can be every other week it can be once a month it can be something and what can we do to 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 get to grow you know our numbers again and i do think that the fact that they have grown the last two or three years, I think is testament that they can continue to grow. So I mm -hmm. think that's the more exciting thing for the industry is the is that it's come out of the pandemic even better than it went in. And with some heartache in between, obviously. Um, yeah, of course. But then, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's America's I, most accessible sport. I think it's something yeah. like 70 million people bowl. Something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So as a marketer, I looked at it as your top of funnels. Like that's how many people who are interested in some point. And then your job as a proprietor is to kind of bring them into, like you said, more and more frequent. Whether yep. that's a, a short social league or maybe down towards 35 sanctioned league. But just yep. you're bringing them in into your funnel. It's something for everybody. That's, I think, the biggest thing that proprietors will learn in the last 15, 20 years is you can't jam a 30-something week league on everybody. It's not going to work. That's the biggest thing. I, and I, it was funny, I wrote that in the last chapter of my book, and it's still true. America, obviously, is different today than it was in the 1970s and 80s in terms of people don't want to bowl 30-something weeks of the year straight. Women work out of the home. No, no other time. They're not daytime women's leagues. Bowling centers are sometimes worth more. The land is worth more than the center. Yeah. So I'm out of business. Yeah. And so it's it's just what bowling has tried to do, and I think they're doing a better job of it, is trying to meet and address the changes that society is. It's not necessarily bowling's fault, but what is bowling's fault is we don't do anything about it. If you don't do the things mm -hmm. you need to do to understand, okay, here's the way things are today, and you need to do things differently than you did maybe when you were younger and coming up. And, and if you do that, I mean, you can do very successful. Bowling can be a very successful business 
whether it's a family or whether it's a corporate, it could be very successful. If they put the effort into it and really look to what do your customers and potential customers want and see what you can do to give it to them. Yeah, it's always that product market fit, right? How do you yep. serve them well? And the cool thing about bowling is that obviously there's some uh, variable costs, but a lot, the majority of your costs are fixed. Yep. So once you get over the hump, it becomes a very profitable business. Absolutely. So it's just Absolutely. getting past that and, and getting the volume in. Yep. And the good thing now is that, and I think Frank DeSocio talked about this a few years ago, the ones, <laughs> those centers that have survived, especially in the last few years and especially through the pandemic, have and will continue to do well. I mean, you know, we don't obviously have as many as we used to, and that's fine. Right. But those yeah. you'd that's rather have. Business, you yeah, know, you'd rather have surviving. everybody succeeding. You'd rather have a smaller number succeeding than half not succeeding and half succeeding. I think that's just better mm -hmm. for the industry. Yeah, I think that's one of the the trends that's really helped in the last two years. We'll see if it continues or not. But you know that the number of not just um, bowling centers that went out of business, but restaurants too, or other yes. things to do in town that went out of yep. business. Yep. If you're still in business, people still want stuff to do. So you collect all that business. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, a, I think it's a good time to be in the bowling industry. It's a great time to be a writer about mm -hmm. it. A great time to be a marketer about it like you guys. And there's a lot of stuff out there to, to share. And, and the other thing I think that's been a big, I forgot this earlier. The other thing that's kind of big is a lot of bowling centers. When I started bowling, bowling centers saw each other as the enemy. They saw each other as competition. And I think the big, one of the biggest changes now is I think the younger proprietors, especially have seen, no, we're not, we are all part of a pie and, mm -hmm. and we can keep a part of that pie. Our competition is other entertainment venues, whether it's, whether it's sports, movies, concerts, yeah. Even the, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Because a lot of people just stay and play at home and mm -hmm. uh, gaming and stuff. Those are the things that are our competition. So it's good to see that. I think people in the industry realize that we're not each other's enemy and we never should have been, but they did. Yeah. They sure did back yeah. in the eighties and nineties. Boy, I tell you, you can't right. steal my league or, or I'm going to have a lower price than you across town to broaden that. That didn't work. That yeah, I, I would argue that across all ages, that they're very open. And in fact, Mark, this podcast wouldn't even exist if it weren't for the, the proprietors and their willingness to share. Because I yep. can call them as any of up and say, hey, what's working for you? And they don't drop a beat to say, hey, here's what's working for us. Go try yep. it at your place. Yeah, that was one of the things we were always big at at USBC was, was sharing of successes, whether it was our associations mm -hmm. around the country, whether it's proprietors. It's, hey, if it worked in the state of Washington, it can work in Texas, it can work in Maine. But you need to know about it because the best ideas and shared ideas is the way to go. And so that we were always a big stickler for that kind of sharing ideas around the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of sharing ideas, Mark, if people are interested in, in sharing some ideas or learning about the ideas that you guys are sharing, I should say, where should they go to learn more about the International Bowling Media Association? Yeah, our website is bowlingmedia.org. We're also on Facebook. Just type in Bowling International Bowling Media Association. You'll find us on Facebook. We'd love to have you mm -hmm. join us. Try to get some conversations started there. And uh, that's our primary two right now. We were on Twitter at one point, but I think we've kind of lost that a little bit. And so but you look at Facebook and, and our website, those are our big areas. And, and again, membership is on there. All our press releases are on there. Our award winners, we have a lot of award winners. We do bowlers of the year, senior bowlers of the year. And then we have honorary things like for our hall of fame and somebody who's been the biggest in the industry, who's done the most for the industry. And so we have about eight major awards that we do. And hopefully they take a look on there and see, and hopefully nominate some people. If you know mm -hmm. somebody who you see the criteria and you think that somebody might be worthy of it, please nominate them to us. And yeah. let us know. That's how we find out about things is somebody tells us.
Yeah, I love that. And you guys are doing a pretty cool job. I mean, you have been doing a, jo- a good job for a long time of, of covering what's going on. Yep, we appreciate it. Yep, well, that we're going to do better. We've done, we're doing okay, but we need to do better. And that's our plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been fun, Mark. I'm sure we could continue talking about bowling all day if we were allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, really, thank you for coming on. This has been a blast and looking forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. In fact, I think right when I get off here, I'm going to contact Karen and see about getting in. I never, I've got to get that done. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be seeing you soon. All right, Forrest. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Take care.